All right, it's confession time. How many of you still have your Christmas tree up at your house? It's okay. It's a safe place here. All right. We're, we're all friends here. Christmas lights still up at your place? Shaking your heads. Contemplating maybe we'll switch to red, white, and blue lights and we'll just leave them up the whole time for Independence Day is just around the corner. Uh, yesterday was that day where we cleaned up and put the boxes up in the attic and tried to get all the stuff and all these piles of trash just appeared and you know you work hard to kind of transition into the new year and then something happened last night after all of that cleanup. Some hoodlums showed up at my house and they TP'd, wrapped, rolled the front yard with uh, toilet paper. Now Everywhere, and I, I, I'm going to admit, I don't know if those hoodlums are here this morning. It was a pretty good job. Uh, but what they don't know is earlier that day, no doubt, we were on our last roll of toilet paper. <laughs> Someone had just gone to the store, and we went, oh, we forgot the toilet paper. And out like manna from heaven... 24 rolls of toilet paper appeared. And apparently the, the hoodlums were working in such haste, like three or four of them just weren't even opened yet. <laughs> Thank you for being the God that provides uh, today. So it's good news. Well, we're transitioning to new year. We're forming new routines and getting ready for school to start back and all of that. And uh, hopefully you've had a good Christmas and it's been a good time with family and friends and you've had some rest and you're ready and you're energized this morning. Uh, we're going to start a new series as we're going into the new year. It's called Our Credo. And basically what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks is what we believe. What are some bedrock things that are important to us? You know, the Church of the Nazarene came up with kind of these three things that are really kind of bedrock to our, our denomination, our faith, and that we are Christian, we are holiness, and we are missional. And so we're going to take those words and we're going to expand those a little bit in the next few weeks, and we're going to talk more and more about that. So to start us off this week, uh, the, we're going to be in the book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have your phone with you, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have it with you, we're going to have it on the screen, and I'm going to be reading the NIV here we go. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the, the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Here we are, the people of God. They've been ransacked. They've been captured. They've been, they've basically been invaded by these people of Babylon. And it's really a story of, of God's people coming full circle. Because if you look and you look back in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 11, there's this story about the Tower of Babel. Do you remember that story? Uh, there's a people that lived in, in this place called Babel, and they built this tower trying to be, basically, we are going to be God. We are going to show the world how powerful we are because we don't want to be scattered. We want to be known. And what it happens, if you know that story, God breaks this tower and he ends up scattering the people and there's all around the world. And in the very next chapter, 
we find that God is, is telling his, his, his man Abraham that you are a chosen people. And I want you to go to a different land. Don't live here. Don't live in this place where you are God and you are trying to become something. Let's go to a place where I have for you. And it starts this journey of Israel, going to this place called Canaan. And that's where we find ourselves in, in this, this story. And when they're captured, and this is a terrible time for Israel, basically they've been disobedient, they haven't listened, and now they're being taken over by people and being forced to do certain things. They're back into this slavery mentality. And when they get there, they begin to to mourn. They're upset. And in Psalms chapter 137, you see kind of this dialogue where they're in lamenting and they're weeping and they're upset. They're by the rivers and they're, they're crying for what used to be. What used to be. And here's a, just a great verse from there. It says this. How can we sing songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? Someone asked him, sing a song. Sing a song of your Lord. How can we sing we're in the middle of this foreign land? It's a great question. It's a hard question. How in the middle of, of, of a place that's not your home can you sing about, about God? There is this uh, theologian named Walter Brueggemann. And he talks about this thing called empire all the time and how there are empires in the Bible. And if you know a little bit about the Bible, you see that. It's basically God's people have been taken over by different, different people. We saw it with Pharaoh and uh, Egypt. They were slaves to Egypt. We saw it in different places like the Assyrians took over God's people. Now the Babylonians uh, have taken over and now are, are, ruin, are ruining the lifestyle of the people and basically holding them captive. And when I think of this empire, this empire doesn't stop in the Bible. It's, it's here today. When I think of empire, I think the empire strikes back, of course. All right, now when, I want you to have that, that music in your mind, all right? Star Wars, empire, Darth Vader. You know, empire was in the Bible, but we have an empire kind of here now today. That's what Brueggemann talks about, how we are in the shadow of empire even today. And that empire is our world culture, the culture that we live in. Now, what is empire trying to do to us? The empire, you see this everywhere, there's endless war. There's this influence that's trying to get us to become like the culture. You see that for the Babylonians. They're trying to get them to become like them, trying to influence, trying to assert their will, either through power or or different ways. You even see this in the Star Wars movies when young Anakin, I watched those movies, the first three, I'm like, this time he's not going to go to the dark side, but he does every time, and he becomes Darth Vader, and you hate it, but he does. It's that influence, and we see that in the scripture here. And in Daniel chapter 1, go back to your your scripture there, in verse 3 through 7, it says this, then the king ordered... Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, and you recognize some of these names, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he became Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. 
So how did this empire begin to shape and mold? Basically, it took the best, the brightest, the, the most handsome, the, the ones without physical defect, the, I call them the cool kids. He took the cool kids and we said, we're going to take them, we're going to influence them, we're going to try to shape and mold these kids, and then, hopefully, everyone else will, be, will get the picture. I've always wanted to do an experiment. Take a high school, any high school in town, give me the the 1%, maybe the 40, the 30 kids or the, the cool kids in high school, the kids that, that maybe they're most handsome or the, the athletes or whoever it is, take them and let's just start some kind of trend. Say, for example, like a reverse mohawk, just zzz, right down the middle, okay? All 30 of these kids, 40 of these kids go to high school, see what the ripple effect will be. How many kids will suddenly... Oh, uh, man, this is pretty cool. Let's start shaving our, our heads down the middle it's a, and just see what that influence. That's basically what's happening here. They're trying to influence the cool kids, and then hopefully that'll spread with culturally what they believe, everything. Now, you think, well, that's kind of silly, shaving you know, your head reverse. Kids, you know, wouldn't fall for that, would they? They wouldn't, like, sag their pants or turn them around in any way that would be kind of silly. But that's, you know, well, actually, I saw this cartoon the other day, and it's these two older gentlemen, and they're going, I can't believe these, these kids with their sagging pants, and they had the pants down, and they're showing the boxers. You know, they, they just look silly wearing their pants like that, and of course, they have their pants all the way up to their, yeah. You know, and we say as adults, man, I can't believe, I can't believe kids can be influenced the way they are. But if we're honest... Uh, we're pretty influenceable ourselves as well. There's a great book that I read. I read it actually about this time last year. It's called The Power of Habits and the way that culture takes and looks at our habits and tries to shape us and mold us, and they're doing that very craftily and just subconsciously all the time. And this book is a great read on how that kind of happens. Let me give you a couple of examples Unfortunately, a lot of us have had to go to the mall the last uh, few weeks, which is not my favorite place in the world. But if you walk in certain areas of the mall, most often far away from the food court, suddenly you smell this amazing smell. Mm, what is that? Cinnabon. Ooh, you're not even hungry, and all of a sudden you're like, I've got to have one of those Cinnabons. They're beautiful. And you see them. Now, let me tell you what Cinnabon does. They intentionally position themselves away from the food court, not to be mixed up with all those other smells like Chick-fil-A and Chinese food that's pretty fantastic too, but on the other side of the mall, so suddenly you begin to smell and you're hungry. Ooh, think about this. When you go to the grocery store, what's the first thing you see in the grocery store? What's the first item of, of, of food? What is it? Most grocery stores, it's the fruit and vegetable section. You think about that, going to Walmart, you go into HEB, right there when you come in, you get bananas and apples. Now, why in the world would they do that? Why? Because if you buy apples and, and, and fruit, suddenly you're like, man, I'm doing pretty good. Let me go get some Oreos and some Bluebell and some all these other things. So they're beginning to, you see how this is working here? Different groups have picked up on this, and they've begun to do more and more research on us. You know we're being watched, don't you? You know those little, those little fob things that we have on our keys, that little, the barcode? Uh, people are analyzing data from that. 
We see that, and that's why a lot of places they're pushing credit cards and different things, because all of that is information. All that information, Target is one of the best at this. They begin to analyze data all the time, and they begin to see your buying uh, patterns, and suddenly coupons show up at your house for things that you buy. Whoa. Or they put two and two together and say, well, they buy cereal from us, but they don't buy our milk from us. So let's send them some milk coupons and get them to buy the milk while they're there as well. Seeing how this works? Uh, and one of the big things that you're reading this book, it's pretty cool. The, the, one of the quotes is the, the, I don't know the exact language he uses, but uh, the pregnant family is like the you're hitting the jackpot if you can get a family that is ready to, to have a child because they're buying so much. And so Target knows this. One day, a, a man in Minnesota shows up, and he demands to see the manager of that Target and says, how dare you? He's got a, got a, a, a coupon book in his hand that says, congratulations, and then it has the name of his teenage daughter on, on, the, on the ad. Congratulations on your first child. And here's a whole bunch of coupons for, you know, baby products. How dare you send this to my daughter? You know, she's not blah, blah, blah. You're trying to influence her to become pregnant. And he is irate. And the manager, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't, I can't believe we did that. Manager calls back a couple of days later to apologize again. And the dad's like, yeah, well, uh, apparently there's some things that have happened in my house that I'm not aware of. And my, uh, my daughter is, in fact, inspecting. They're watching. Have you ever bought something or searched something on the Google machine, the Internet machine? I, was, I bought a golf club, and suddenly there's golf club ads that pop up on your... How does that happen? They're watching. They're watching. And people who are, are good at this, advertisers, they realized a while back that, you know what, detergents are just about the same. You can only add so many ER words to the end to try to get you to buy those things. So what they have decided, what they are doing is they said, you know what, we can't use these so many words. Let's sell you on a, a life. If you, have, if you buy this, then you gain this kind of lifestyle with this. Example, Super Bowl is coming up. And uh, what, do you remember any of the memorable commercials from last year? One that really sticks out in my mind is the life of a farmer. Do you remember that one? Paul Harvey, and I, I mean, I can't even attempt to be Paul Harvey, but uh, there's this literally three-minute mini-movie, and you're watching this, and you're going, man, I want to be a farmer. I want to go do that. That looks, I mean, you're just excited about all that awesomeness that farmers have, and they show these cool pictures, and you're like, whoa. And then halfway through it, you ask yourself the question, what is this an advertisement for? I mean, is it for boots or cowboy hats or... I don't know, being a future farmer of America? No, you get to the very, very, very end, Dodge trucks. You remember? And so it's this lifestyle sell by product. And, and, and this is happening all around. And they're trying to sell us, and I'm, I'm not, Cinnabon's great. Dodge trucks, wonderful. But what's happening is we live in an empire, a culture that is trying to shape and mold us, just like the Babylonians, just today. And they're trying to shape us into a way of life, a way to view things, that you are in control, that you are God. Have it your way. Man. 
And not only that, there's different things throughout the media that are trying to shape us and mold us in different ways. And, and I don't know if you're aware of that. I, sometimes I'm not aware of it. But, but the good news here is that Daniel's aware of it. We see that. Be aware that we live amongst, uh, uh, we live in a place that is not our home. Now, sometimes I find myself, I don't know if you're like me, I find myself lamenting. I wish that life was the way it used to be. Do you ever feel that way sometimes? I wish that life used to be the way it was when the worst thing that you heard on TV was kiss my grits. Do you remember that? And now, my goodness, what do we hear? What? Life used to be a certain way. I, I read an article the other day that there was a movie that came out. There's over 500 F words in the movie. My goodness, we're being shaped. We're being molded by a culture. I wish life was the way it used to be, but I, I have some news this morning, and I hope, that you, I hope that you have ears to hear this morning. We have never lived in a country or in a world that has been our home. We are foreigners in this land. If we call Christ our king, there is only one citizenship, one place that we should call home, and that's heaven. And Jesus talks about that with his disciples. You hear this in, in, when he's, he's talking to them to John, chapter 15. It says this, and the, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I choose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Even our word for church itself is the Greek word ekklesia, the ones that are, are called out. We are called out of this world. And be aware, folks, we live in a place that's not our home. We are aliens and strangers that are here. And it says this in Philippians. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly, eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Have you ever been flipping through the channels? And... Most of the time I DVR things, but occasionally I find myself, I don't know what I'm watching. I have a few minutes. I'm just kind of flipping through, and you see a movie that you're like, I have to, if you stop on this movie, you have to watch at least 10 minutes of it. You've seen it before. You know the dialogue. You're like, but you love it, and you have to watch at least a little bit of it. You're just sucked into it. What is that movie for you? Share with your neighbor real quick. What's that movie for you that you have to stop if you're flipping through? All right, let's, let's name a few, call them out. A few good men. The truth. Yeah, with Jack on the end there. Uh, this section over here, a movie that you have to stop on. Finding Nemo. Nice. All right, over here. Princess Bride. Mowage. Mowage. Uh, over here. What is it? Limitless, yeah, that's a newer one, yeah, with uh, that hunky guy, Bradley Cooper. Um, indeed. There's a couple of movies that are like that for me. Um, definitely, uh, You've Got Mail is one. Uh, the uh, Gladiator is another one. Tombstone is another. I, just the dialogue is good. The characters, you know the stories. But the number one movie, if I see this movie on TV, I have to stop and watch some of it is Shawshank Redemption, okay? Now, if you don't know the story, well, that's kind of grainy, but uh, we'll go to, let's, 
The, the, the story about uh, Andy and Red, and they're in prison, and just great characters and great scenes. And my favorite scene I have to watch, if it, I'm even anywhere close to it, is the escape scene uh, at the end where, you know, he throws the rock at the picture, and it goes through, and suddenly, and it's just a beautiful kind of, oh, you just get into it, and you're just so excited for Andy and Red, and glad that he goes to the stone wall and gets, goes out to the beach, and it's, it's, just, a great, it's just a great movie. Uh, there's one character, there's several characters, but there's one that really intrigues me. It's the older gentleman. Do you remember his name? Brooks, all right? Brooks has been in prison basically all of his life, and he's getting ready to be released. He's in his older years, he's getting ready to be released, and, and, and knowledge of this comes, and he knows it's about to happen, so he actually is trying to find ways to get in trouble, to stay in prison. And then when he gets out, you remember what happens? He gets a job. He just can't adjust to this, other, this, this world. And so he eventually takes his own life. And right before he does, I don't know if you remember that, Brooks was here. He scribbles into the, into the wall. There's a quote that I heard, and I, I can't attribute it to who it was, but it just kind of got into my mind, and, and, and it can't get out. What happens when Jesus comes to liberate his people, but no one wants to leave? What happens when Jesus comes to Babylon, when God comes, but everyone wants to stay? Because we're so used to, we've been so crafted, we've been so molded. Another way to put it, and I think it was a song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go now. <laughs> And that's what the goal here of empire is. That's what Babylon is trying to do to us. They're trying to shape us and mold us. But Daniel was different. Daniel was different. If you look at Daniel chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Daniel resolved he was determined, and this word is basically in his gut, in his heart. He made a decision that I am not, I'm not going to be influenced. I'm not going to defile myself. I may live here, but I'm not going to be a part of, of here. I'm not going to allow this influence in my life, in my heart. I was reading this book about basically uh, experiencing the kingdom and desiring the kingdom. It's by a guy named James uh, K.A. Smith, and he gives a diagram that I think could be useful for us today. And uh, it's a picture that I have in your worship folder. And basically, there's four images that are there. And out of order, I want us to, first of all, there's this arrow. And the arrow, kind of out of order, we'll look in the middle here. The arrow represents the fact that we all live intentionally. We all are pointed a certain direction in our life. And we are pointed toward kind of a target. Now, this target for us is a picture of the good life what we picture, our image of what the good life looks like for us, what we want, what we desire for our, our lives and our families. Well, that, of course, is shaped by our hearts. What's in our heart, what we really want, that's what we're after, that's what we're going after. Now, here's the part where I really want us to focus on. This bracket, this parenthesis here, this represents the things that shape our hearts and our lives. These are the things that determine what our heart desires and the intentional path that we take to get there. Now, what are these, this parenthesis? This is the habits that we have. These are the practices. They're the liturgies of our lives, the images and things that shape our heart. 
sometimes subliminally, sometimes just in the, in the acts of, of everyday life that we have. And so Daniel, Daniel knows this, that by taking food and taking drink from the king's table, this may seem like a subtle thing, but subtle, small decisions and changes toward the empire begin to add up. Now, what does this food represent? Maybe it's a you know, breaking of, the, the, of God's law. These are foods that shouldn't be eating the children of God. We don't know that absolutely for sure. But we do know for sure this, that at that time, when you were to eat with someone, when you were to share a meal with someone, you're basically, you're showing friendship, becoming friends with the empire, showing friends with the, the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel makes a stand there that I'm not, I may live here, but I'm not going to be a part of this. We see how he could do this. You look in Daniel chapter six, we get past a couple of chapters, some amazing narrative with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up. I'm not gonna bow down to this king. I'm not, everyone else, you can bow down when the, the, the harp and the lyre are played, but I'm not gonna bow down. How can these people do that? Because they had some habits, they had some practices that they weren't willing to give up. We see that in Daniel chapter 6 where there's some people in, the, in the, uh, the government that are trying to get Daniel. They're trying to bring him down. They're jealous of him. He's beginning to wake his way up in this, this group. And they're trying to get rid of him. So what do they do? They go to the king and say, oh king, why don't you make a law that you can only, uh, you can only pray to you and to your gods. And if you don't do that, then... You're, you're, you're going to be dead. You're going to go to the, we know the story about Daniel in the lion's den. So what's Daniel's custom? Three times a day, he would open the windows, he would face Jerusalem, he faced the kingdom, and he would pray. He would praise God and seek his help. This was a part of who he was. This is one of his practices and habits that shaped his heart, that would influence the intention of his life and where he was going. And so what happened? When this decree came out, I love his response. He immediately goes back to his room, he opens a window, he faces the kingdom and says, and he begins to pray and to praise. Despite the decree, despite what was going on, he did it anyway. Because these are important things. These are important things that shape who we are. These are important practices that, that are helping us to become countercultural. We have a very interesting history in our church uh, I don't know if you're Nazarene, born and, and bred. I know no other church than the Nazarene church. I love the Nazarene church. If you're new to this denomination, we welcome you. We've got some funny things in our, our, our past that are just kind of, we embrace them now. They're, they're great. Some of you have been a part of the church for a while. You know that some of these things are like, ladies, was there ever a time where you were, never, were not allowed to wear jeans? Do you remember those days? Shake your heads if you, if you do. I, uh, I had a, uh, a, a friend share a story about you couldn't wear jeans even on hay rides. And so uh, the hay, oh, that would just the prickly on the legs. It was a bad deal. There were some other, some, a couple other funny things. You could not play cards with face cards. Do you remember that? Or dice. Those were, you know, those were wrong. And I am, am old enough to be a time where I went to Treveca, and one of the, the, the rules at Treveca back in the day, you couldn't wear shorts uh, during certain hours of the day. Couldn't wear shorts. And if you did, you got fined, you know, because you, 
don't want to show too much leg. And, uh, and so you could wear shorts if you were going to the gym. And so, of course, everyone was going to the gym at all times. Freshmen, 20 or 10, whatever, it didn't matter. We're all going to the gym. We all have, we have shorts on. Um, some other things like going to the movies. You know, I know a lot of pastors, their very first movie was The Passion of the Christ because we didn't go to movies. And, and we look back on some of that stuff, and we can kind of chuckle. There's kind of some, maybe some have some funny stories like that. You know, and some of that may seem silly now, but you know what's not silly is the intention of some of those things. See, because the intention is this. How can we live in this world that is trying to influence us and be different than the world? How are we going to stand out and say these things are important? We're not going to be, we're not going to be influenced. We're not going to be. Phineas F. Brzee is one of our, our, our founders in, in uh, California. He began this movement where he was reaching out to people. And one of the, the, the bedrock kind of practices of the faith was to abstain from alcohol and from gambling. And he looked around and the people, and you have to realize who he was speaking to. If we were to go to Montrose and, and see the people that are there, that's basically the, the church that was there. And you look around and he saw people that were basically entrapped in this lifestyle where these practices were basically a prison for them. And I, I've seen my, in my very own eyes with, Countless families that have been ruined. Words that are said, actions that are, are taken under the influence. And you realize why this is so important. Things that we don't do, things that we do. These are important choices, they're habits and, and practices that we have that are important for shaping our hearts and our lives. There are things that we do here that are important, that we do every Sunday. Some people call these liturgies. Now, from, from my perspective, when I hear the word liturgy, sometimes we have a bad take on that. We think that that's, uh, you know, just kind of stuffy. It's kind of wooden. Uh, I immediately think of Mr. Bean. I don't know if you know who Mr. Bean is. I think of Mr. Bean. And, and one day, uh, Mr. Bean uh, went to church. <laughs> this friend, and we don't even have to, we, it's been months since I've seen this person, but I, if I went up to him and just went, hallelujah, hallelujah, yeah, yeah, we would immediately know exactly what it, what it is. We think of liturgies as these things that are stuffy and up and down, and, but there are things that we do, practices, and that's basically what liturgies are, practices that shape who we are, and we do that, we do that every week. 
we come here and we sing songs, songs that shape who we are. And songs, we know this, they get into our bones. Songs we remember, we think of, and we know that the kingdom, the empire knows this as well, that songs shape us. We sing songs of great faith and things that are important for who we are and about who God is. We come and we do that in this place. Now, I've got to be honest. I feel like sometimes I'm pulled by the empire. I went last week to another church because we were for Christmas in Oklahoma. And sometimes I find myself doing this. And I don't know if this is you. Probably not. I come to church with my, uh, my pen and my, my, my paper. And I'm like, well, they didn't do this. Or they didn't sing this. Or man, if I was the pastor, I would have done this. And the world teaches us to be critical of everything instead of being shaped and molded by a God. No wonder that we call things like when someone goes and is looking for a church, they're church shopping. I'm looking to have it my way. Instead of being a people that come in and are shaped by a God. I tell you, being the worship pastor is the second hardest job in all the world, and we have three people that are amazing at it. And they pray every week, and they, 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 they shed tears over, what are we going to sing? Lord, help us to be faithful, that we are a people that are shaped by you and not by our own desires. Second hardest job, of course, to be a youth pastor, uh, because <laughs> hoodlums show up at your house at different times. <laughs> we sing, we sing, we sing even in a land that is not our own. We sing because it shapes who we are. We take an offering. We do that because we are saying, you know what? This is not mine. You have given it. You have blessed us. God, you are the one that's in charge of this, and I will not be ruled by money. Lord, thank you for blessing me. That's why we do that. We, we pray together. And as a, a pastor, I've got to be honest. This is a hard point, hard, hard moment for me. Don did a great job this morning taking a microphone and taking something so personal between your relationship with you and God and, and trying to verbalize that out loud as a community. We come and we pray together. And sometimes we confess and sometimes we shed tears. And sometimes prayer involves movement because there's a physical to that beyond the words. And we're in this together as we pray and as we praise God because we have a God that is relational, that cares about your life, that loves you and has set us free. And we thank God and we, we, we just recognize how much we need him. And that's why we pray. We pass the peace, which is basically we greet one another. And for some of you, I've got to be honest, sometimes it's me. This is an awkward moment because uh, one of my favorite t-shirts that's out there is there's this picture of these two people and they're just side-hugging, and it says, awkward side-hug. Uh, because there was that moment you were like, do I shake hands? Do I hug? Uh, and then made somebody come in for a side kiss, and I don't know what to do there. <laughs> but there's this moment where we, as a community, we are living together, and we are becoming the physical embodiment of our Lord, and we are passing peace to one another. And we're saying together in that moment, we're doing this together. You are not alone. You can't do it alone. We need each other. And that's what that's all about. We do things like open the word. And it's been read this morning in several ways. And we preach it. And I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite things to preach. Mainly because when I am opening the word during the week, the word 
begins to shape and mold me and my heart. And so by the time I get up here, it's like, man, God's already been working on me all week. And that's what the word does. It's powerful that way. It convicts us sometimes. It sometimes encourages us when we need it. Sometimes it inspires us and pushes us on to do what he's called us to do. And that's not always easy, but that's what the word does. And it's a beautiful thing. Most recently, I've been uh, inspired by a thing called the benediction. It's the thing at the end of the service where we have the privilege to come before you and to basically announce a blessing. And you see some places that where the pastor will lift their hands and people will actually pull their, hand, their hands out like this to receive that blessing as we go out. This is from Isaiah where Moses basically, God tells Moses to go and pronounce a blessing upon the people. What a privilege that is to take that blessing to go out into the world that we live in. There's some beautiful things that we do. We do these things, we do these things every week. There's some other things that we do every now and then that are, are beautiful as well that shape and mold us. We take the Lord's Supper. We're reminded that Jesus died for us and that we've been set free by grace. And it's a beautiful thing when the bread is broken and we take it and we eat it and we dip it in the cup and we remember what Jesus has done for us. That's shaping and molding us to be countercultural to what we, we live in all during the week. We have baptism sometimes where people are, are dunked in the water and they're brought out. And it's just a, I don't know if you've been a baptism scene here uh, with us before, but I just love that moment when they come out of the water and we're just, <laughs> it's just a great time because that is the moment we believe as a community, as the called out ones, that's the moment where we're saying the world is over here and I'm leaving the world. That's my old life, and now I'm beginning a new life. One of the most memorable services that I've ever been in was the day that I was baptized in my home church in, in Midland Valley in South Carolina. When I was eight, seven years old, I was baptized because everyone was doing it. We came back from camp, and we're like, wait a second, you get to go in the water in church, and that thing that we usually play in back there, the baptismal, uh, yeah, sign me up, I'll do that. My friends were doing it. It really didn't mean much to me, but uh, this, my parents began to talk to me about my faith, and they began to talk to me about uh, membership, and I'd heard about membership, and basically they made the statement to me is that, when you're ready to become a member of the church and you feel like that this is something you want to do, that God is talking to you, then you, can, you become a member. Well, I started to think about that more and more. I started processing my faith. And my faith, somewhere in the middle of my teen years, became less about routines and more about what those routines were doing to my heart. And where God became personal, became relational. And as I was thinking about this and processing this, I felt like God was telling me, you know what? I think you need to get baptized again. And, and so there I am on this Sunday in South Carolina. And I, I am standing before the whole church. And this is the way, this is kind of the practice of what happened. Everyone that was getting baptized that day, we were standing like right here in front. And we're looking at the screen. And as a tradition that was to happen there at our church, we sang this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then we sang the next verse. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The next verse. The world, the empire behind me. 
the cross before me. And as I, I stood there, I'm going to be honest, and you know that I'm kind of a crier anyway, I'm just weeping. I'm just, suddenly just all kind of came together. I love God. I love the church. I love that he has set us free. And in that moment, I declared for everyone, my family, my church, my friends, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm not going back to who I used to be. I, I was kind of just processing this week, and there's actually a church. I love this. I don't know if the image has been up there yet, but uh, they have shirts that say it. And so on uh, Baptism Sunday, which is September, uh, or Fe- February 9th, September, that'd be a long way away. Um, anticipation. Uh, we're going to have t-shirts that say that. I have decided. So these practices, they shape who we are. And I don't know if you've been baptized yet. I don't know if you've gotten that place, but oh, I pray that you have. I pray that you've made that decision that I've decided that I'm leaving the world behind. That I recognize that I live in a place that's not my home and I am going to live for Christ and I want to be shaped by Him. As we enter this new year, these are practices that we have here. But what are the practices we have out there? I challenge you this year to get into God's Word. I don't know if that's a routine, a habit in your life that God is shaping you through His Word, through other books and other things. There's some great things that are out there that He's shaping you during the week. Technology is awesome. It's out there. There's, you can, if you've got a, a tape player in your car, you can, get, you can get things on your tape player, CD, MP3, anything that you want as you're driving to work. There's devotionals. There's all kinds of things that are out there. Be shaped by God's Word. One of the most powerful things, and actually my, my sisters and I are already beginning to fight for it, my, my, my dad's Bible. It's awesome. It's just every page highlighted, every it seems like every single chapter has got something else or a, a program from church, different things throughout his faith journey. Now, I know my dad read his, the Bible because he, I saw that, and he talked about it. But the most powerful images I had of my father is when the door was cracked just a little bit in his room. And I would see him in the same chair, and he was in this book, and he was highlighting. And he was sometimes on his knees. He was sometimes calling my name. These practices that we have in the midst of empire, in the middle of Babylon, are important for shaping our children's lives as well. This year, I pray and I hope that you'll connect with people. We're not in this alone. We need each other. One of the ways that I'm recognizing that this empire is trying to shape me, I hear a noise sometimes, and it comes from my phone. And it, maybe it's an email, maybe it's a text. And my initial reaction is to reach for my phone. I start to reach for my phone. I want to see what's happening. I want to know if there's a like on a photo that I posted. I want to see if there's an email response. I want to see if there was a text. We're taught. We're being shaped. The bell rings. <laughs> yeah. Can we be honest? The Lord's been t- teaching me. I'm going to turn my phone off more that when I have conversations with people, I want to be right here. I don't want to be here all the time. And lastly, I just challenge you this year to spend more time with our God. As you talk with Him and you live your life with Him, that's basically what He's called us. He wants more than anything, a relationship. He doesn't want this, 
and I hope you hear me, he doesn't want a God is great, God is good kind of prayer life. He wants real and he wants raw. And he wants those moments where you're just like, God, I can't go another step. I need you. I need you today. I praise you. Help me. That's what he's looking for all the time. And I hope and I invite you to be a part of that. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. Well, the band is playing. Um, would you stand with us? We're going to sing the song, the song we just talked about, I have decided. Now, maybe you have decided. Maybe you've made that declaration. But if you were honest this morning, you'd say, there's some practices in my life. There's some habits that are, that are influencing me toward the empire instead of the kingdom. Maybe you need this morning just to spend some time with God and say, God, I, I recognize this. I need your help. I need your help. Maybe there's some things that are not present, some things that we talked about that, that do shape our life and our heart. Prayer, time in the Word. And you, God, help me to, to mold this habit in my life. Maybe this morning you're like me sometimes and you find yourself lamenting. Man, I wish it could be like this. I wish it could be like that. And you can tell that the world has creep, crept into your heart and there's this critical spirit. That's not the God. That's not the kingdom we serve. Maybe you need some help. I pray that prayer all the time. Lord, humble me. I, I need you. Lord, forgive me. So this morning as we pray, as we sing, I invite you. The altars are open. Maybe you want to pray at your seat. This place is a house of prayer. Let's, let's sing and worship him.